New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and uh, welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Uh, we are diving in now to uh, episode 528. This is the second part uh, in our uh, 10th anniversary uh, series. And we're going to be looking uh, right now at sort of the present and the future of uh, tech, uh, especially here in New Zealand. Uh, very pleased to have uh, Bill Bennett and Sarah Putt uh, joining us again for this episode. Uh, so, Bill, I might get you to do another sort of uh, quick uh, introduction uh, for those that maybe have, if they haven't caught the other half, uh, because we're doing sort of a you know two two episodes together here. Um, remind people where you fit into the big wide world of tech. Oh, oh yeah, I'm a tech journalist, and I've been writing about this stuff since Jesus was in short trousers. It's um, uh, forever. <laughs> and uh, and Sarah. Oh, kia ora. Yes, I'm Sarah Putt and I work right for CIO and Computer World. Possibly not as long as Bill has been writing, but definitely around Roman times began. <laughs> wow, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's impressive. I, I feel um, like such a youngster. Uh, and uh, it's 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 not common. I would uh, I would make those those comments. Um, look, it was great to have you both on uh, on episode five twenty twenty seven. And look, we're we're recording and streaming these kind of you know back to back on online uh, for anyone that's watching uh, any of the online stream and you're not familiar with the podcast, then uh, you can get the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, through any podcast app to listen to uh, later. And of course. We're always more than happy to have people watching uh, when we do do a live stream uh, as we are today across LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube uh, and Twitter. So um, yeah, let's uh, let's jump right in. Now we, we looked back on episode 527 a little bit about uh, where technology was a decade ago and we, we really have come a long way. Now I want to delve into sort of where, where we are now just to, you know, just as a, a way of taking stock a little bit uh, and then looking ahead which is, is really I guess the area that uh, that excites me and, and really has done for, for a very, very long uh, time. And I've, uh, I guess, I, I've always enjoyed um, being able to look forward and predict and try and join up the dots and and make good decisions now based on where things might be uh, heading in in the future. And that, that certainly has just been part of uh, part of my, um, you know, business journey, my my fascination uh, with technology. So um, let let's delve in. Um, Sarah, maybe we can start with uh, with you as we uh, we look at where we've come to on the um, the connectivity front here in New Zealand. And I know we discussed that you know a fair bit in the last episode, but just you know keen for uh, you know for for a few uh, thoughts from from you um, and then from Bill around you know where we are today with with five G. Um, with you know high speed uh, broadband here, which by my accounting is is around a th- uh, around a million times as fast as the broadband, or actually broadband's the wrong term, ar- around the internet connectivity we had uh, when I left school around you know thir- thirty years or so ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can almost hear that modem. Remember the modems when you connected the dial up. I, mean, I can hear that noise in my head when you say that. Well, we were um, just so playing you, it in the in the intro a moment ago, which you may, you may have sort of yeah subconsciously yeah, right. you know you stuck in your brain now. 
yeah, you're reminding us of, of where we've come from and where we're going. And so, yeah, absolutely. Like fibre is, um, is, is been a huge step change. And, you know, we talked about in the last episode how the Telecommunications Act was revised in 2011, 10 years ago. But then it was again revised in 2018. But what we're looking at now is tinkering, is tweaking, is making sure that the landscape continues to be competitive and innovative. Uh, there's, there's so much change that's happened that's enabled, you know, what we can do today. And you can see that there's going to be... Um, there's going to be incremental change, possibly more than massive change. And I'm interested to hear what Bill thinks on this too. Um, but where fibre will just get faster because we've, we've laid the groundwork, the most expensive thing, you know, with this technology is the holes in the ground, you know, and once that capital work is done, you know, it's, it's kind of incremental. Um, but what will also be interesting in the next sort of five years is how we cope once the copper network goes. So there's that difficult transaction quite transition now, uh, taking copy, copper away from people. And that's where the Commerce Commission and all the, the legal um, focus is at the moment to make sure it's not an abrupt change. Um, but there's a smooth change and no one misses out. Bill? Yeah, by the end of next year, 87% of the country will have um, access to fibre and probably of those people getting on for two-thirds of those who can have fiber by them i mean we're already at two-thirds uptake on ufb1 so by around then we'll probably be up to about two-thirds possibly more of the population will have it so well over half of all new zealanders will have a fiber connection by the end of next year the the scary bits are what happens where fiber doesn't go or not so much scary but the more controversial bits i mean that that can be filled in with uh, fixed wireless to a degree there are places where it's still filled in with copper, which is not necessarily the best um, strategy. And the other thing that's happening right now is the emergence of a new era of satellites, the low Earth orbit satellites, which will fill in some of those holes. You wouldn't you wouldn't choose a low Earth orbit satellite service if you've got fiber because it's going to cost you twice as much, and it won't it won't perform anything like as well. But if you're stuck out in the WAPs, now the thing about the WAP WAPs here, the, the country, the rural uh, rural fixed wireless networks is there's actually two fixed wireless networks. There's two types of rural broadband. There's when you're within sight of a rural um, RBI tower, you get the city style um, 4G, 4.5, 4.xG and soon to be 5G uh, experience. And it could be fast. And the speeds are pretty close to uh, what you see on fiber. You, you, you can get 70, 80 megabits per second better in some places, a little bit worse than others. If you're another kilometer or so further out and you're on the rural bands, the performance can be dismal. It can be appalling. And those people are going to be the people that will benefit the most when satellite comes in. I mean, satellite's about twice the price. You'd pay probably 180 as opposed to $100 a month for a satellite connection. And you've got to buy a big satellite dish. But that extra 80 bucks is really worth it in terms of what you're going to get in terms of performance. So I think that that's where... I think there's going to be a battleground fault in that rural space um, over the next year or so. And that's going to be a lot happening there. And the, um, the two big carriers that have um, uh, rural towers, that's um, 
that's Spark and Vodafone, and to a less degree, two degrees on the um, on those um, rural connectivity group towers. They're going to have to either they're going to have to invest a lot of money and improve things, or they're going to start losing customers to um, to other services. And I think that's what's going to happen there. Um, in terms of what's going to happen in fiber, it's not going to change a lot. I mean, it can be faster, but the main change is going to be more people will have fiber. But what you may see a change is the way that the internet moves around your house once it gets into the house. So um, we're already seeing Wi-Fi 6 emerging. I think Wi-Fi 6 will be everywhere in the next year or so. And then next year, of course, there's Wi-Fi 7. And I think that's there's going to be a lot happening in that area where when it comes to moving the signals around the house and wi-fi is probably going to dominate so everyone at some stage is going to have some wireless in their broadband and pretty much everyone except perhaps satellite people at some stage is going to have some fiber in their broadband and to a degree the differential between those things is probably going to start to disappear a bit and you'll be more worried about what speed you're getting rather than you know how it's delivered I think one of the one of the exciting things that we we didn't necessarily uh, cover uh, in the last episode was just how limited we were in terms of you know we had those data caps were just you know the absolute yeah. sort of you know norm and in mm-hmm. this period we've gone to you know un- uncapped broadband and in, in you know so many cases uh, to to some degree in our mobile connections uh, yeah we've got connections certainly with big data caps they then sort of you know tend, tend to slow down uh, but you know we're, we're very competitive internationally I think in terms of the connectivity uh, we get there are different you know price points in different countries we're certainly you know not the cheapest but we we very much have you know world-class connectivities uh, connectivity w- without that uh, you know limit the the broad limitation we used to have with our data caps were uh, were the absolute norm um, now yeah, a number of other areas um, I'm keen just to sort of delve into quickly before we sort of you know look a bit further ahead in terms of where where we are right now um, social media has has just has um, I mean, I, I don't even know how to how to describe the the role that it sort of you know fulfilled in society over this uh, last decade, both uh, good and and bad. Um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, um, you know, Instagram. You know, they they have such massive uh, reach. Uh, LinkedIn as well on the uh, on the business uh, front. And then you know we've obviously got uh, you know, always this you know something new coming along around the corner and you know Clubhouse we, we spoke about last week, um, but it it has um, you know put that that ability for people to bypass uh, mainstream media outlets and and just you know share with people now. I guess the forerunner to that was our online forums and and message boards that you know started out I don't know you know thirty plus uh, years ago the the CompuServe's and um, you know AOL and and you know varying sort of bulletin board services and so on, um, but really that's you know evolved to where we've we've got uh, this ability for you know anybody to to put something out there um but also we've got the the extremities of um you know 
online celebrities and influencers who have this this incredible power in some cases you know more powerful uh, than a lot of traditional media outlets um uh, Sarah have you got any comments to, to make on where, where, where we've where we've where we are right now and I mean how, how do you break that down that is a massive topic I know isn't it? I mean I know but you talk about your message boards and how the, you know places like Yahoo started and all that kind of thing you know what was it a list? list of 100 places you might want to go on the net to to what we've got now and you know we've we've got arguably state interference in people's elections false news you know fake news we've got um you know people just living in their own bubbles and being fed through algorithms that take them to places which have real world consequences and we've seen the extreme of that happen in this country sadly with with the Christchurch uh, massacre like last year you know we've seen these that the bad uh, the the real you know taking it out of control we've seen a president of a massive country can you know come to use it as almost as a weapon against their own people and it's it's really fascinating how social media has taken over the news agenda become the news agenda in some ways it's enabled people to talk directly to their public and even in our country you know we know our own prime minister is fantastic on Facebook she's she's great on Instagram she if you ever watch she's got a massive following and she talks directly to the public I mean what a wonderful bonus for a politician to be able to do that um, until you take the you know and and you know arguably obviously they all use it to different degrees so it has completely changed it and in doing so it's upended the media you know the traditional media I mean people like yourself you know you've come in with new ideas and used social media networks in some way or form in a way you never could have you know 20 years ago so um, a really fascinating development uh, and so interesting to see what picks up and what doesn't you know like when you think about TikTok for example which was the one that came out last year and really hit the stride mm-hmm through lockdown and all the rest of it. You think about that idea um, and you think that Vine was there five years before, you know, this whole idea about 15-second videos and, um, you know, short video pieces and then they grow in population. Sometimes it's a timing issue, right? The technology might have been sitting there, but somebody came along and saw a way to just, you know, supercharge it. So really a really fascinating area. Um. Bill, to move on to the next uh, topic, I'm thinking about where we where we've got to with the biggest global uh, tech companies with their their clouds, which have have really extended. Um, you know, we talked in the last episode, AWS, uh, Amazon Web Services, they were around five years old. Uh, we had Google. Uh, doing really leading the way at that point as far as sort of online productivity, email, uh, and you know documents and, and and spreadsheets online. That has seen a trans transition on the Google versus Microsoft picture. Um, Amazon holding you know still holding an incredible level of sort of um, you know market share and and dominance as as far as uh, their their AWS sort of offering, um, although. Microsoft and and to a lesser degree, uh, you know, Google um, are are certainly encro- you know encroaching on that, and and I mean it's led to all three companies effectively 
I mean, just being mind blowing in terms of their scale, and that that's without and you know, that's putting Apple aside as well. Uh, you know, who also are are at that uh, that very very large end being uh, you know basically we're talking about trillion dollar businesses here uh, I'm not quite sure if Google are at exactly that 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 point right now um, they seem to sort of you know bounce up and down a bit but certainly the you know the valuations of these businesses is mind-blowing um, but just some you know some of your thoughts on sort of where where we are now um, on that front I know we were chatting about a couple of these things before we uh, started the podcast yeah, I mean, certainly the um, there's not there's not as much choice as there was, and in that sense, there's it's definitely um, a lot less competition. I mean, if I think back to when I started writing about computers, we used to run a list, believe it or not, a list of the top one hundred computer hardware vendors um, in New Zealand. You know, and that was you know there were a hundred. You could mention hundred. You probably couldn't name more than six or seven today. Um, and the and those cloud companies, you're really down to the three big players. I mean, everyone else is an also ran. Even mighty IBM and Oracle are just nowhere compared with um, the big three. Um, they slightly play in different niches. I mean, although um, it's quite often uh, positioned as though it's a head-to-head race between those three companies, Google is very much the catch-up, the, the third player in that um, cloud space. Microsoft is very sort of enterprisey, and it uses its history, its its legacy, and its products, its things like its office products and so on, as almost like a gateway drug for companies to get them into the, the Microsoft cloud. Um, I suspect that Microsoft, although it still does make money from um, Windows and Office, that's secondary now, and it's really, you know, it needs to be seen in, as part of the. the the bigger strategy for the company. And of course, AWS is is all embracing. I mean, all AWS is everywhere. I simply cannot keep track of the um, new products and services and features and so on that are available on AWS. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if anyone who's, you know, unless it's their job to just do that, can do it. It's, it's years ago, someone from IBM talked to me and they said that their job was like standing with a in front of a crowd of customers with a fire hose of products and it was spraying the audience with them. Well, you know, Amazon does that, or AWS does that every damn week with its um, its cloud offering and its features and so on. Um, and that's the problem is, is that in some ways it's simplified the market. You know, there's less competition, you've got fewer choices and so on. But it's actually also made it quite complicated in other ways and so on. And I don't think we're all ne- we're necessarily, um, you know, business, businesses and all of us, in fact, are necessarily coming to grips with how to make best use of this at the moment. Um, and there are all kinds of issues. I mean, if you're a large corporation, do you just stick with one? <laughs> and what happens if that one goes down or if that one falls behind a, a, an iron curtain? You know, if you're a Chinese company and you're using one of these, for example, you're behind a curtain that you can't get. So there's all kinds of issues. There's things like data sovereignty is on. It's a, it's a complexity, but it's amazing. When, when I go, as I say, go back to the days when there were a hundred top hardware companies, a hundred top software companies, it looked pretty complex, but this is actually uh, in some ways more complicated and harder to navigate. And um, quite frankly, I'm not quite sure how CIOs Managed to keep on top of it all. Perhaps it's that. Perhaps that's your job, Sarah. 
Yeah. Well, I was just going <laughs> to in there and say that a number of CIOs I've been speaking to recently, um, notably thinking things like BNZ um, and I was speaking to TrustPower the other day, they really want to adopt a multi-cloud approach because they yeah. want to avoid that whole vendor lock-in. You know, you don't want yeah. to be holding to one vendor for, you know, everything. And let's face it, that not everything's going in the cloud. I think TrustPower said they were about 50-50 at the moment. So, yeah, so it's not all kind of, you know, it's not all there yet. But that's absolutely right. Um, the other thing you've got to think about it from a CIO perspective is the skills that their teams need to do because they need to be able to switch between, you know, AWS, Azure, um, you know, Google and, and Google Cloud. So they're going through those so I sort of say to them, you know, how do you do that? How do you make sure you've got the right skills on the team? And they basically said it's a constant cycle of learning and relearning and unlearning. And that basically if you get the basics and you understand the basics, it's just about fitting into the different environments. But what it means is if you're in tech, you can never stop learning. You can never say the book is closed. It's a constant skills um change and I think that's also going to see a change in the way we think about education especially when it comes to digital skills and this is I'm sort of diverging a little bit but this is a really top issue at the moment in tech is is a three-year university degree going to prepare you for this incredibly dynamic environment which Bill talked about which is a different thing every week or do you do you go for a quick sort of you know a course a foundation course move into the side of development and then constantly doing micro credentials micro courses those sorts of things it's an interesting uh, Sarah that you mentioned uh, you know tr- trust power um, in there I look back to quite early on in my uh, IT career and I was involved with putting in the first uh, sort of local area network uh, in at, uh, at at trust power and I guess it was sort of you know early 90s going back away and, and I look at a, a business like that which is you know now um, you know one of our bigger organizations here here in New New Zealand and their tech at that time I mean it was it was just so simple and so basic uh, compared yeah. to where we are now where they're a, they're an internet provider uh, you know they're, they're generating power that the threads of technology just run through every aspect of that business and I think um, you know we just we see that in sort of every direction that we that we look that uh, you know any successful uh, business is is either you know, in some way, sort of calling themselves a, a tech business in one way or another, or the threads oh. of technology just run through them. You know, to a to a huge degree, they're just so reliant on on leveraging technology in some way to deliver what they de- deliver. Bill, well, well, that's a good point because because um, you know, quite often we get pitched stories by companies like, say, the one I always come back to is Uber. I would say Uber is not a tech company. Uber is a tech-enabled company. Um, if I go back to when I first started writing about computers, the case study that everyone talked about was American Airlines and its booking system. And what American Airlines did is it it, it sold its booking system to other airlines, and it became, in effect, at one point, it became a, a booking computer system that, which was born out of an airline. It, it was still an airline. It was, you know, it wasn't thought of as being a computer company, and yet Uber is basically a taxi firm, and yet people tell it's a, a computer company. It's not. It's it's a tech-enabled firm. But who isn't tech-enabled? Well, I tell you, who's not tech-enabled? The people that are nowhere. The people we don't see anymore are not tech-enabled. Um, you know, you, 
you are everyone in that in that sense everyone's a technology company yeah and i guess it you know it comes down to uh to to what extent and to how uh, you know how innovative that you know different uh, companies and even not-for-profit organisations are in their leverage of, of tech. Um, you know, there's a level of that that you can uh, you know probably match up uh, to to their success. And uh, I guess that you know this is part of what fascinates me. And I know you know Bill, you know we've had the, these sort of discussions over the over the years. And you know maybe it's something in the tech podcast agenda. And you've said, Paul, that's not a tech story. Uh, but but for me, I, you know, I, I enjoy um, you know following those threads of of technology and and yeah, what technology enables and and what technology uh, makes possible. Now, a, a couple of other things that I would like to cover briefly, and we may, we may be uh, running out of time again. To, and I'm wondering if we're going to end up with three episodes here. Um, you know, yeah. one for one for past, one for present, one for one for future. Uh, I don't know how you. Both feel about that, and uh, when we would find the time to record it. Um, but just yeah, just look look at looking at the at the clock. There were a, few, a couple more things that I, I wanted to mention, um, and you may both both have some others as we um, uh, as we finish up. Um, oh, Sarah, I didn't give you a chance to sort of just delve in whether whether you had any comments um, around those big tech players and. Um, I guess where Microsoft ended up landing, we sort of talked about before we before we started. They were a company that ten years ago um, were really struggling in a in a whole lot of areas. And um, one of the topics that we talked about a lot on the podcast in that first probably year or so. Um, and and you know partly because the those that were involved in the show had um, uh, or did a lot of work in the Microsoft space. There was this big interest in in the show, which uh, you know tended, if you look back, was a bit of a waste of time. Um, was a product called Microsoft uh, Windows Phone. Um, I think was its well that was its name at one point. Uh, Windows Mobile completely completely gone off the radar uh, now. Um, What's that? Windows, yeah, Windows Mobile, and then it became Windows Phone, um, and also we, you know, we just saw how Google were dominating Microsoft on the on the cloud front, as as was AWS. Um, but there was sort of a big change. So I'm just keen for you to to talk to that before we cover off a couple of last uh, topics. Oh, definitely. I think you know, like you, as you say, there's the big five. You know, Amazon, Google, Facebook. Uh, Apple and Microsoft. And what is so fascinating is how they can retain their dominance. You know, we saw it, we've seen, we saw Apple in the 90s go down and come back up again with mobile, arguably. We saw um, Microsoft go down. They came into the decade absolutely hobbled by that legislation, um, you know, that lawsuit that they had that hovered over them for years. And then they came through and didn't get mobile and were stuck until Satya Nadella took over and said, okay, it's in it's cloud, it, let's go this way. Um, and then we saw um, Amazon, which is just, you know, obviously Jeff Bezos has re- um, announced he's stepping down as CEO. I mean, what an amazing founder he ha- is um, and what he's done, which is just almost reinvent our view of the way we work. The innovation in that company is massive. 
you know, you can argue about monopolies, you can argue about um, the way the workers are treated. There's all sorts of places you can go in the Amazon, but you cannot escape the fact that it's ubiquitous and such a fascinating company. Um, But what's really interesting with these companies is, again, how can they outlive their founders? How can they move to the next to the next shift in technology when that founder has gone. Apple managed it with Tim Cook. Um, is Jeff Bezos going to manage it with Andy Jazzy? Um, you know, Zuckerberg's obviously still there. Uh, you know, and obviously Microsoft had that the one in the middle, Steve Ballmer, didn't work out for them so well. So this is this is the other interesting thing is that it just comes down to one person sitting at the top who kind of almost leads the direction of that business. I mean, IBM has not done so well with their chief executives of late. You know, that's an example of a company that hasn't kept up. Yeah, it, it's um, it's always interesting to to look. Uh, back and you know, look at the different sort of mistakes and the different successes and yeah certainly uh, you know Microsoft did very well with putting such in Adela uh, you know the board did a, you know uh, in in hindsight now uh, a great job with that selection uh, you know I, I think in in the um, you know probably the when he when he came into the role um, you know, there there was certainly a you know a level of sort of excitement from you know from people internally, but you know I think a lot of people were were, were sort of sitting and watching and and curious how it would play out. Uh, but we've ended up with a Microsoft that uh, yeah I guess you know has has been a lot more empathetic uh, than the the arrogant Microsoft that we had uh, really pr- you know prior to uh, uh, to such and Adela. Um, now a couple of other things that are probably you know just you know very current um and part of this will play into the i guess what we do in terms of looking ahead but just you know looking right now um the role of intel within the computing space has very much started to started to change over you know over a period of years they haven't been able to you know advance they seem to have sort of got stuck and and, and got a bit frozen uh, with their innovation and you know of course we we're used to uh, Moore's law around the uh, the doubling of um, um, what's what's the terminology here? Uh, doubling of is it circuits, Bill, in a microprocessor? Well, transistors, I think. Yeah, I think it's the number of transistors. Um, you yeah. know, every every eighteen months to to two years, I think. Um, you know, that sort of increase in computing powers has um, you know has slowed down somewhat. Um, but then we've had the tech technology um, from in the ARM processors, which has has just you know been so widespread. You know, every mobile phone, uh, virtually every you know tablet having um, you know either arm that you know arm um, based chips or or even the Apple silicon which uh, which draws um, on arms and instruction set and uh, you know just in recent months we've we've really seen uh, a bit of a taste of the future as Apple have come out with uh, you know started ditching the Intel chips in their uh, computers and Microsoft have have I guess been uh, dabbling in the space for I know it must it, it feels like it's close to a decade now where they they've you know tried to bring in uh, ARM based processors into some of their uh, you know some of their devices and it's not probably quite a decade but certainly a, a you know a good few years uh, now um, but 
Apple are really sort of showing what's uh, what's possible there. Um, and and of course, you know, Apple is a company we probably haven't uh, talked about so much, but you know, what an incredible uh, dominance that, that they've had uh, and an ability to really uh, be profitable within within a space, uh, you know, particularly with the iPhone uh, versus a you know, whole load of, of competitors in the mobile phone space who have you know mostly not been able to make uh, terribly huge profits. Um, although, in some ways, you can't mention Apple without uh, mentioning Samsung, who you know in the early days of their Android phones. You know, looked like they were just completely trying to, uh, you know, mimic and 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 copy uh, what was being done by Apple. But you know, now they've, you know, they're really such a, a you know, a, a powerful and a dominant, uh, you know, company. I went through buying a, a TV over Christmas and a, and a soundbar for it, and you know, I ended up with a product that, you know, probably 15 years ago, Samsung wasn't even a, a, a name that I, you know, would have had, you know, much if any recognition for. Um, um, but now, you know, very clearly, you know, dominant within that sort of, you know, home electronics in a way that I guess, you know, Sony was maybe, uh, um, you know, a decade or, or, or so prior to uh, prior to that. So, you know, there's been just some interesting uh, things in terms of the companies that are uh, that are playing. Um, and and then we've got sort of looking at, at uh, you know, who's doing really well um, in New Zealand. Um who would like to comment on that? Can I maybe pass pass over to uh, to you, Bill? First of all, on on that well, in terms of you know w- w- what what's excited you in terms of the 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 technology leaders here in New Zealand. Well, can I just come back to Intel for a moment? Yes, sure. I think we we missed we missed something there, and that was that moment ago we were talking about the top five companies, and probably fifteen years ago, if you were looking at the top five companies, you would have said Intel will be there, and. Intel is clearly a case of a company that misstepped, misread the market and didn't recover. And the the misreading was exactly the same as Microsoft's misreading. And if you remember back to the days when people used to talk about Wintel and how Microsoft and Intel were sort of partners in everything, um, Microsoft misread the mobile market and recovered. Intel misread the mobile market and did not recover. And that's the case study for what happens when you when you're big and you misstep there's no you know they didn't get a second chance there's no coming back from that that error Mm. and i think we can possibly i don't think intel's gone burgers but i don't think intel's going to be um a name to conjure with anymore at all so i just wanted to make that point um getting on to um to new zealand companies well, of course, you can't really you can't really um, get into this without talking about zero. Zero's done awfully well, but the the issue with New Zealand is, and it's the issue. Sorry, um, sorry, meant zero is done awfully well. The problem with New Zealand is we lack scale, and that's always been the issue here. And so, what we have to do is we have to, you know, we what actually happens in New Zealand is we've got a whole raft of companies which are extraordinarily successful, but in like niches that are not really, you know, they're not necessarily global names. So we have, you know, the company which makes the equipment for um, designing washing machines and, you know, yada, yada, yada. There's lots of very niche things that we do extraordinarily well, and we sell that technology to the world. But when it comes to, you know, big names who are players on the global stage, 
probably not. The um, the one that stands out, of course, is is um, is Datacom or Datacom, depending on how you pronounce that word, um, which is a regional superpower in technology. But that's about the only one that's um, you know had had that kind of uh, massive impact. Otherwise, we tend to do very well in 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 niche things. Yeah, I think um, I think it's a really good point, Bill. And I mean, I think what Zero did, and, and bearing in mind my own personal world, I actually used to work for the opposition for a couple of years. So I watched them really closely um, about five or six years ago. And I think what they really did was they, they showed it was possible. They said it was possible to create an international company, a software business, and they created an ecosystem and a belief that I think a huge amount of companies jumped on board and started thinking about. And, I mean, you talked before, Paul, about tech companies and what's a tech company and all that kind of thing. I think a lot of tech is a state of mind. And I think what Zero did was that they shifted our state of mind and they said, look, there's this thing called SaaS, which we can get into. You know, it's it's a way of, you know, it's not it's an OPEX rather than a CAPEX. This, this changes the game. And you had the companies like Pushpay go, hang on a minute, here's a way. Why am I putting the, why am I tithing through my salary or whatever and when I'm at church? Why don't I just create an app for that? There's got to be an app for that. And then look how successful they've been with those evangelical churches in America, massive, really interesting story, um, you know. And so I think that what that company did was it a created an ecosystem and a belief that we could actually play on the international stage. But to your point, where's the scale and how hard is that scale to do um, from from where we are? You know, even things like lockdown have been a kind of a double edged sword. On the one hand, it meant that we couldn't get on the planes to have those face-to-face meetings with the people that matter in the Northern Hemisphere. But on the other hand, it meant everyone was Zooming, so we got that advantage anyway. So it's going to be really interesting to see what companies can get scale. Yeah, I mean, that's... The other thing that, sorry, that I would say is um, if you look at internationally how people view New Zealand, they always believe that our agri-tech is a place where we can go, probably because of our history around agriculture. Oh. I don't see the innovation there yet. I, I mean, I don't know if anyone else has oh, seen it. Oh, yes, there is. The, um, the, the, the Livestock Improvement Corporation. Yes, good which, point. Yeah, that's, that's fabulous work. I mean, the number of cows that we have in our dairy herd is actually dropping at quite a rate, but each cow is individually that much more productive. And that that's the kind that's the kind of technology which we do which is world beating and we do that so well. But again, it's like I said, it's everything we do well is niche. And if we if there's something that emerges here um, that does start to rocket on the you know, go go very well overseas. Um, with the exception of zero, they tend to get bought very early in their life cycle. Mm. So, um, and the, and that technology, I mean, I, there's countless numbers of companies over the years which, where I've visited their headquarters, either here in Auckland or in Wellington or in Christchurch, and five years later, they've been bought out by someone in America and some key people have moved to the States and there may be a sales office still here. You know, that's that's there's very much been a, a pattern of that. Which is, you know, it, that's okay. That's innovation. I mean, the fact that the fact that you sell your business when it's worth a hundred million and not a billion, is, you know, is it, is still good. But that's, but it's back to that scale thing. We do have that problem with scale, and I don't think we're going to have a global scale business come from New Zealand. We're never going to have a Microsoft or a Google or a, um, you know, a Facebook coming from New Zealand. We will have a zero, but zero is not on that tier at all. 
No. Well, no. Bill, we're, we're, we're probably starting to get into uh, into the next uh, episode, which yeah, is to yeah. sort of de- de- delve into the future. And, um, yeah, you're sort of baiting me there with, with, with those comments. So uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, I, will, I, will, uh, I, will, I will sit back. Um, there, there is certainly a, you know, a bunch more that we could, uh, we could del- delve into. Um, but I've got to say, I'm really excited around you know, where we've got to over this last decade, uh, whether it's the success of Zero and the example that Zero, uh, that Rocket Lab, that PushPay, um, other ones that are coming through, the examples that they set um, for Kiwis, for New Zealanders, that we can play on a global stage, uh, that we can, uh, you know, export bits as we often sort of refer to it, the sort of the weightless exports that, you know, we can use our um, our Kiwi ingenuity, we can use the sort of place on the, the sort of edge of the world as it were, uh, we can use those creative, uh, you know, talents to, um, you know, to insert ourselves into, um, you know, into the economy uh, globally. Uh, and of course, there's there's the aspects of of how uh, digital and and um, you know social channels have uh, you know al- allowed us to to really be um, you know a, a part of the narrative during uh, during COVID and and you know during other other troubles over this uh, this period where we've had you know attention that we may well not have had otherwise. I saw uh, somebody on uh, I think it was LinkedIn sharing. A, a view. I'm not sure what country this person was from, um, but they edited together a video talking, basically talking about New Zealand's uh, leadership. Uh, from a, a political perspective, uh, you know, very much about you know Jacinda Ardern, and it was sort of spliced together content, much of it from you know social media channels, uh, you know, Facebook streams. Some of it certainly was was you know TV type uh, type coverage. Uh, that you know, this is something that uh, you know probably wouldn't ho- have been uh, you know able able to happen in uh, you know in the decade uh, you know prior, certainly not to the same uh, extent. And look, you know, regardless of your your political uh, leanings and so on, you know, this is uh, you know a part of uh, what technology has enabled. Um, there is more we'd love. I'd love to delve into, but I, I don't want uh, this uh, episode to go too long, and we still want to talk about the future. So we, we, I hope we'll be able to uh, twist both of your arms to um, to join me for another episode. Um, if not, we'll work out a way to uh, to delve into that next step, that uh, future ahead, because I know we're out of time uh, for today at least. Um, so a huge thank you, um, Sarah Putt and uh, Bill uh, Bennett. Um, did either of you have any sort of little wrap up you'd like to just you know drop on the the end of that, or are you okay if we uh, if we finish up now? No, I think that's fantastic. And once again, I want to say congratulations to you for holding the holding the torch for, for ten years and always coming out to us with some really fantastic opinions. And both you and Bill just getting out there and in in the tech land and just sharing those those points of view because you're absolutely right. We've got to get better at tech, and um, you know, and everything is tech. And I think we've got to you know take the advantage and what would go on in terms of our PR if you want, for want of a better way that this country has earned in the last year and we can really mobilise it. So, yeah, it's inspiring. Thanks, Sarah. 
Yeah, good point about building on that that um, profile that we have now, um, which does give us. I mean, we have, we have a window to use that for um, to sell our technology. Yes, for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you everybody for uh, for joining us on this episode. Now, of course, you can find us online at nztechpodcast.com. Um, the show is across is available ac- across all of the the podcast uh, apps and video streams uh, across LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, YouTube and uh, Twitter if you in, enjoy catching uh, and, and actually seeing who it is you're, uh, you're listening to. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, everybody, for, uh, for joining us and especially uh, to those listeners who have been with us since the, the very beginning. And it's always so, you know, encouraging when I uh, hear from people that have said, oh, you know, I've listened to every single uh, episode. And so, yeah, really, really awesome. Uh, and, look, we, we will be looking for your uh, feedback. We'll have something coming up on the the NZ Tech Podcast website in terms of a survey um, as we're you know now starting to evolve the the show to what it will be like for the next decade. It's something that I've thought about and we've talked about over the last sort of year or so, but this year we, we really are starting to uh, see that. But we'd love to have anybody's uh, feedback on that, and of course you're welcome to uh, to connect via social media um, or to email me paul.spain at nztechpodcast.com. All right, thanks everyone. New Zealand's Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.